Hey, welcome to the Juice Bar Experts podcast, where we are going to give you tips, tools, strategies for launching a new juice bar or scaling and increasing the profitability and efficiency in your existing juice bar. I'm your host, Andrew McFarlane. For the last 10 years, I've been in the juice bar business, running my own juice bars, as well as helping hundreds of entrepreneurs all around the world launch successful juice businesses. So without further ado, let's get into it. So yeah, I'm excited. Welcome guys to this episode. We have my dear friend, Aram Zadikian and business partner, and we are really going to get into the nitty gritty today on talking about production. This is one of those things that for me, and I'm sure for many of you who are listening to this episode, don't know anything about, and I didn't know anything about this in the very beginning. For me, in my experience coming into this industry, I was coming from a completely different market. I was in the entertainment industry and like many people had a passion for juicing, passion for health. And that was really what was driving me. I tend to think of myself in general as like an organized person, you know, generally speaking, but I did not have any semblance of understanding of what it meant to run a restaurant, run a food service business. And from a very, very grounded place of understanding, really what I'm getting into is food manufacturing. And so I often say that on this channel, it's like, when you're in food service, you're in the manufacturing business. And the reason I frame it that way is because manufacturing is not emotional. It's just all process, right? To really be good at manufacturing, you have to be very efficient and effective in your process of doing everything. And so that was kind of a rude awakening, I would say, in my experience. And I think it is for a lot of people. And what I see, and you can probably attest to this, and I'd be curious on, on your experience and journey, but I find that a lot of people, because that aspect is so unfamiliar, that people revert to either just guessing or um, having certain pars when it comes to their production and output for their juices and just saying, well, hey, we made 10 last time, even though I don't know if I need 10 juices and like my, you know, tropical breeze juice, like I'm going to just make another 10 because that's what we did that last time. And that's the easiest way for me to do the math on what I need because it's so complicated to do all these conversions and all this stuff. And so in essence, you know, this episode is going to be all about probably common pitfalls that people run into, what the implications of those things are, and a solution that's going to change the game that Arm and I have actually been working on that we're really excited to share with you guys. Um, that's going to make this whole problem and whole issue uh, a lot better. So um, before we go too, too deep, because I can find myself already going down that rabbit hole, um, Arm, do you want to just give the people in the community a little bit of introduction as to kind of what you've been doing, what your history in this industry is, and and uh, yeah, some of your experience around why you've also oriented yourself towards solving this problem. Hi everyone. So I am. I, I think of myself as an accidental uh, food entrepreneur because I had no intention in the beginning of getting into this industry. And I think, like probably many people, you find yourself in a situation where something is starting kind of small. Maybe somebody, in my case, my sister, kind of started getting into this and she was very much into the, the vegan movement and uh, kind of health and wellness. And 
she just started this very kind of small scale operation that I could see was starting to catch fire. And I joined her and we started working together and I started helping her and, and figuring out, okay, how do you, how do you take this little thing that she was doing that works in a very small scale? And how do you actually start to expand that and scale that? And that's where very quickly you start to hit the wall with things that worked in the small scale, just stop to work. uh, Once you start getting to any quantity where you can't really jump in and scramble anymore. Right. So I think there's this threshold where you can just get it done. You can just make it happen. And when you hit that limit, that, I think what I've seen in a lot of cases is that becomes the thing that repeats day after day where somebody's in this mode of stress and they're not able to really work on the business because they just, by the time they you know rest their head on the pillow that night, they have to get up and kind of repeat that process of scrambling. And even though I think a lot of us in, intuitively felt like there's got to be a better way to running our production, running our operation, uh, there was simply no time to sit and, and plan it. So I think uh, luckily my background before this, you know, I've been in, in several different businesses over the decades and uh, software was one of them. So I have a software background, web development, front end, back end. And my first thought was, you know, where are the systems for the small scale producer, right? For the large producers, you have systems, you have these large scale enterprise ERP systems that try to uh, optimize and and plan some of this stuff. But I think for the small scale operation, it tends to be unapproachable for a variety of reasons that we've, you know, we've spoken about over the years. And I think um, the, the tricky thing is if you don't have those systems in place, you're, you're perpetually in this mode of being stuck. There's lack of consistency, quality control, uh, I think the team gets frustrated when you don't have a system in place that you can start to uh, breathe and improve. Uh, so I think for all these reasons, it's uh, and you know we'll, we'll dive in more, but uh, into kind of what some of these solutions are. But that's a little bit about uh, kind of my background. But um, yeah, I'm curious, kind of what your what your uh, I know we've talked so much about this, but like how did how, where when were those moments where you started to feel uh, this is out of hand in in producing day one i think the moment one, i swear, yeah. i really i really remember it's 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 really funny like because you know you, you got to imagine me i had no i'd never worked in a cafe i only watched and observed as, as an outsider so i'm like yeah i make stuff at home how hard could this be right this is this is the way my mind is working and i remember spending all this time creating my menu, right? Like probably maybe a few months, right? Creating my menu and then going out with our food truck and then somebody putting in an order for like a few different things categorically and then just going, oh my God, I don't even know how to produce this. Like, I don't, I like this, they, they, I don't know how long these people waited. It was awkwardly long (laughs) for their, for their like, quinoa salad because because not only did i not have um you know like proper prep and production i didn't understand assembly like what needs to be made up beforehand 
right? Like, what do I need to make on the spot? How do I actually make this really, really, really efficient? Um, and, and at its scale, right? Cause when people prepare things as if they're making food for their friends at right, a dinner right. and you think that that's going to translate into a restaurant where a hundred orders are coming in within, you know, two hours, it just doesn't translate at all. It, it, and so that's when I realized, oh, this is way too complicated. I'm doing way too much. I need to systematize things from the recipe standpoint all the way to, okay, how does this get made at scale? And then being able to project. Cause I think that one of the biggest challenges that new food service businesses have, which, you know, they're going to have to a certain degree regardless is just how do I project how much I need? You right. just don't know. Cause you have no historical data. You walked in day one, you're blind. And so you're, you're thinking, Hey, I'm going to sell uh, $2,000 of the product today. So you're going to be wrong. The question is, how wrong are you? And the other element is, is you don't know how that $2,000 that you might have even made, which you're not, because it's going to be off, um, is broken down categorically. Meaning, how much of that is juice? How much of that is food? How much of that is smoothies? How much of that is coffee and whatever else is on your menu? You don't know how things are broken down. So you don't know what you should have prepared for and how much, and it's all connected to that. So definitely these things get easier when you have data to be able to refer to and look back on and go, okay, well, for the last few weeks, we've been doing, this is the pattern. This is the growth pattern in these categories, right? Everything works its way backwards from your sales. You're, you're basically in a business like this, you're reverse engineering your potential outcome. And I find that food service entrepreneurs that do really well in this, in this dimension are really good at that. They're really good at, at doing projections and saying, okay, I know that we're probably going to do this based on history, based on whatever, whatever other elements are there. Oh, there's an event. Oh, there's going to be, you know, actually they're doing construction. I know that at my juice bar, it was crazy. There was a period of time where we, had a, a water pipe burst under the main road on Sunset Boulevard. And I kid you not, for the next six months, it, this is, they were doing serious construction in the middle of the road. This is like the one driveway that people came in to come to the business. This affected the sales in a pretty big way. Um, but you have to account for all of these miscellaneous things that are going to impact the outcome of your production and then work your way backwards because your scheduling is connected to that. Right. right. Um, which is, you know, your labor, how much you need to prep, all these things, different days of the week, because, you know, Sundays and Saturdays might have different sales than Monday through Friday. And so when you don't have data, you're new to the industry. It's really hard to know these things. And so you're going to get it wrong. The question is, how wrong do you get it and in which directions? Uh, and so for me, that was one of the big learning curves. And then once you have that kind of figured out, you have to have some system to be able to translate what you know to the rest of your team so that they can right. run their production in an efficient manner. Cause it's one thing to know it and go, okay, great. But then, then that's just one layer at the top of the entire scale, which most people don't get right or even think about. But then beyond that you go, okay, now how does that translate into like a very practical, you know, uh, dimension of how much, you know, branding needs to 
apples Randy needs to juice today (laughs) when he gets in? Like how many pounds does he need to juice and what steps in the process he needs to have in order to make that happen? So you work away from the, the most granular dimension of production to, okay, you know, what is the higher level? What was the moment for you guys? Like, when did you realize, Hey, what we're doing on this small scale doesn't work anymore. And how long into the business was that? Um, and what was kind of like the first problem you solved? Yeah. So a great question. I think for us, I would say about six months in, uh, we were having, you know, almost uh, 50% growth in the first year. It was, it was rapid, right? I think like most companies, uh, we were in packaged food, so, uh, slightly different, but it was in the, uh, short code, you know, fresh food, short shelf life, which I think is a very key distinction in this industry is, stuff is fluctuating all the time. So for us, the big thing is, you know, throughout the season, you start to notice that the produce you're buying, it's not giving you the same yield, you know, from week to week, there's all this variability. And as we started to, you know, for us, the added complexity of we're having to actually deliver wholesale to other stores, having to figure out how much we need uh it's not like if we if we short our stores from an order they drop us right because it's like hey we lost sales now so it's one thing for us to take the hit internally now we're hitting our clients with lost revenue it's unacceptable so very quickly we were feeling the pressure of we have to get this right and uh, i'm sure everybody has their crazy war stories of their you know frankenstein excel sheet that they build and, you know, that's, that's where we started to see, okay, we have this crazy Excel sheet and it kind of gets us through, right? You can kind of do it. You're spending, as you're scaling up, you're spending more and more time. At, at some point we were spending several hours every morning trying to figure out how to produce that day's product. Because the problem with short shelf code product is if you overproduce, it's pretty much garbage, right? You're not going to be able to really resell that. If you do, you're taking the risk of having a customer have a bad experience. Uh, There's food safety concerns. There are all these issues that I think uh, in other industries, if if you over-manufacture in other industries, you can kind of get away with it, right? Uh, It's not good. It's not good for your your cash flow. It's not good to tie up inventory like that. But you can kind of get by for a while. But I think for fresh, right away you feel it. So we were feeling it very early on, and um, uh, again, I started I started going on the hunt. Where where's the software that's going to solve this? And uh, yeah, we just we couldn't really find a, a a simple enough solution. I think there are solutions out there that are that are big, and it's not even a price thing, but the level of data entry necessary to get it in, and the speed at which you can adjust. Because that's the other key thing is. Being able to get new products in, being able to tweak your products as an early stage company, you need to be able to be flexible and tweak. And I think having the the nesting, they're like in my mind, they're like Russian dolls. There's a, a bit of a Russian doll style process to these uh, uh, flavor characteristic to these recipes. It's not just two ingredients, but there's you know, there's the juice step that has a specific yield of how much apples to make this much apple juice, how much of that apple juice then to go into my different products. So you have this hierarchy that makes it 
a little bit unique and a little bit more complex than I think most uh, potentially other food service um, businesses. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's kind of where we, we started to really invest in figuring out how to make a better uh, system. And, and we've gone over the years, we went through many, many iterations, many versions, and that's kind of where I, I stepped in and started building some internal tooling uh, from, from an early stage to try to get us through uh, that, that growth period. And, you know, eventually, you know, up to, um, you know, seven, you know, multi seven figures uh, spread across, you know, hundreds of stores. Uh, there was there was quite a, a a significant kind of growth spurt that I think was was very foundational that we had software that allowed us to kind of grow that was tuned to our operation. It wasn't it wasn't so general purpose. I think that's the other problem that I've seen is you have very general purpose uh, tooling, and then you have slightly less, slightly more niche. Uh, software that's geared, say, for food service. But I think what really was missing for us that we identified was we need fresh food. Fresh food is very unique, and we need to really kind of build our operation, our, our tooling around that. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting, too, because the thing that a lot of people might not take into account, right? So in this industry, your two ma major costs are your labor and your food costs, right? Right. Uh, and when you overproduce... You don't just lose money through spoilage, which is your food cost. You lose money through labor because you're also having people produce that product that nobody bought, which is why it's so, whereas kind of the the latter scenario that you mentioned, if somebody's doing some dry food product that has a six-month shelf life, right, because they've taken all of the, you know, anything that was alive in there is gone, which is, which is why I also see it makes a lot of sense that most of the food people consume or that people find is not fresh. Why? So true, because so it's a lot easier to transport, right? Because you don't right. have all these issues with like, oh, we need a refrigerated truck now or, you know, we, and it's a lot easier to store because you don't need a refrigeration in the store. You don't have to have the same kind of inventory turnover because things are going bad. So there is, it's hard enough to do that, but it's so much harder to deal with a fresh food product at scale. Absolutely. And so the, the thing that's that's also becomes more apparent as you run any business is that you have to be so process driven like that that the efficiency of your process is the thing that gives you extra leverage in being able to save money and make money right because if you save money now you have more money to invest in making money these two things are interconnected and i find that um the the paradox of the personality type of food service entrepreneurs, which I don't know if you observe this as well, is it's all passion and no process. So you get into food service, which is is the the dichotomy of 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 just being who you are. You get into food service because you want to help people get healthy. You have a passion for this project uh, pro, um, product. You want to just like express your creativity, and then everything that comes with that is actually highly scientific and systematic and almost so left brain and antithetical to the nature of the inspiration that got you to the place where you wanted to do it to begin with, right? It's sort of like you're an artist and then you realize in order to create the painting, you have to become a scientist. 
those two things don't usually come together at all or meet, but that is the reality of it. It's like you kind of have to become, because even with, with you guys doing these, you know, previously before developing software, having spreadsheets and on, on Excel and I wasn't doing any of that. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I wasn't Excel savvy and I'm sure probably 80, 90% of people who listen to this podcast are a similar place. Like, how would you even do that in Excel? What do you mean? Cause then right. they program the spreadsheets. That's, that's an undertaking in and of itself. And even if you do it that way, it's not going to be clean or organized or, or like shoot out a production sheet or something for you that you can really use in a way that's clean and simple to understand and you can hand to your staff. And so, yeah, I think this is the, one of the dichotomies of the personality types and what you kind of find yourself up again, not just from a practical standpoint, but interpersonally, it's just a totally different way that you operate. It's sort of like, oh, I want to make juice, but I have to build a juicer. That wouldn't make, you probably wouldn't do it, right? Right. Because you're not an engineer and you're not in like, I'm not in the world of building juicers. That's not what I do. I'm here to make the product and serve it to people. But in this situation, it's just, it's kind of an analogous to that. It's like, oh, I, I want to make juice, but now I have to do all these complicated math problems. I have to do calculus and figuring out how much race <laughs> that I need for this. It's, it's just absolutely insane. And so what do people revert to? They revert to just guessing, right? Yeah, like, yeah. here's what I right. think I need yeah. at scale. Because I know, because at least if I have my recipe, I can multiply by 10, I can multiply by five, but then if I have to multiply by seven, and then also find out the interrelatedness between all the recipes, which is another component, because right. it's not just the singular recipe. It's like, well, how does this recipe connect to that recipe, connect to that recipe? It's all of the recipes that are interconnected. And so then it just becomes a mess and people are overproducing and, or underproducing. And, right. you know, the team is just running around like chickens with their heads cut off because they don't know how to actually do this in a way that makes a lot of sense. I think it's especially uh, everything you're saying, it really resonates. And I think it's especially uh, the case with this particular kind of health and wellness. Because I, 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 I imagine maybe there are some industries or some, some subsections of food where you get into it and it's, more, it's mostly kind of financially driven. I don't really think that's the case with this, right? I look at Margot, my sister it was a passion for her, right? So she had no concept. It's just like, this is healing food. This is amazing. Let's make this, let's spread it to the world. Like it's this very non-business. And I think that trickles down in a lot of ways to the value, like the margins are oftentimes much smaller than the rest of the industry uh, because you're, you're putting actual real food, right? It, it costs something. And, um, how many times, you know, we'd, we'd have these, you know, our heads would be kind of budding against, we can't put like, we we're, why, why not just, we're, we're basically paying people to eat this food. And, um, I think the beauty of having systems in places, a, you start to see it, it surfaces it. So you, you have to face the reality. And I think at some point you come to grips with the fact that yes, we want to make a sustainable business at a minimum and we want to really have something that allows us to thrive so that we can continue to grow it and i think having visibility into what's actually happening is key to that um, and then i think also uh you have more margins so you can you 
you know, when you're in a, when you're in that place of, of strength and abundance, you can give, right? You can give from that place more easily. So I think quality, you know, the, the reason that I think we got into it in the first place was we want to help people. We want people to get healthier and having that additional margin allows us to kind of execute on that goal. I think a lot easier. And I'm, I was always amazed, you know, all the, all the fellow, uh, foodies and, uh, uh, food owners, juice bar owners, I was amazed at how far they were kind of able to grow through sheer willpower, holding everything in their heads. And usually there's like one or two key people on the team that are carrying the whole thing and they're also doing it in their heads. And the problem with that is we tend to get into this vicious cycle of people being overburdened. Your key person is overtaxed and that's unsustainable, right? And you, you know that they're, they're overworking, you know, that they're, they're holding too much, you know, weight and you're just, you're scrambling because you're not, you don't have the, the time and the capacity to start to fix things. So I think culturally it's amazing what happens when you start to implement things that start shifting, even very subtly, very slowly, but they start to shift that, that culture of, okay, we're a culture of kind of continuous improvement. And I think as soon as you start to do that and people see, oh, a tool was introduced that actually made our lives easier, there's this hope that starts to infuse throughout the team and when you introduce, when you go to introduce the next thing, because I'm sure we're going to talk about this at some point, but change management, getting people to actually adopt things is one of the hardest things I've experienced, right? Um, but once you start building some momentum with it, it's much easier to introduce the second, the third, the fourth change to the point where people start to get thirsty for it. They realize they start to make the association that, oh, when there's a problem, I'm, there's actually got to be a solution as opposed to kind of this almost learned helplessness that I think is commonplace in the industry uh, where we're just like, yeah, that's, it sucks and that's kind of how it is. And when that shifts, that's very powerful because I think that's kind of unique. If you do find places that have that type of culture, I feel like the team tends to want to stay in a place like that. And now you're talking about lowering your, your turnover rate, which is massive, right? So I think all of these things are interconnected and it's, um, it's amazing how these little, little things start to ma make, you know, massive impacts. Yeah. That's probably one of the, the bigger revelations that you have when you're just getting into this as well is like how big kind of everything is at scale. Like everything's a big deal. Everything has an, like one employee who has one bad habit oh that impacts all the employees because then they start to observe them and then so i think we can probably even do a whole other episode on culture but it is interesting to see what the intersection is of the systems you have in place and how you because uh, you know I, I often say that your employees are evaluating you as a company as much as you're evaluating them they're not only evaluating you as far as do they want to stay there how much effort do they want to put in um but they are give, they, they are going to give you the respect that you have in a lot of ways for the business. So when you're a company and an employee comes in and you have all of your systems down, you have this process, you know what you're doing, the level of respect that employees give you 
is going to be so much higher because they realize this person is thinking about everything, right? So I need to actually show up with excellence because that is the standard that I've walked into as opposed to you come in, you're like, yeah, we don't, this is kind of, we, we throw this together on a spreadsheet and we just guess and that starts to impact their level of, of, of thinking around the level of respect that they have for the business and how they show up, whether they know it or not, right? Some people are more or less impacted by this. And so, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's interesting too. I, I also, um, reflect on the, when you're an outsider in the industry, or maybe let's say you're new to the industry and you see all these really, you know, semi-large companies, you could say even companies that are doing, you know, between one and $5 million a year, they could have multiple locations. It's often the, the, I would say like maybe call it like the, the size or scale fallacy. People have this fallacy as well in this industry around franchises. They think because of business is franchised, they must be the perfect company where it's like, well, if you're franchised, you've dialed everything in. And as you know, us, our business, we've been here 13 years longer than certain franchises that have been there. They're fran we've had multiple franchise heads and franchisees call us to try to help them solve a lot of their problems because they just don't know what they're doing. They had just right. chosen to franchise their business. And so the reality is, is that a lot of people, even at scale, are still piecemealing all of this together. They, they're they kind of, and, and part of the reason is, it's kind of what you alluded to when you first started talking, is because what might work at $100,000 in sales might not work at a million dollars in sales. Right. And from an from a organizational standpoint, who's on your team, from a systems and software standpoint, because you start to scale every little aspect. You're like, oh, I need systems because these things that you don't know become bottlenecks, become bottlenecks. Like how do we onboard people? Oh, I need an HR system to be able to just input employees because of the sheer volume of employees that are coming in now. This is, this is impacting the business in a very negative way. Whereas before when I had one or two employees, I could do things manually, right? I could keep recipes in my head. I could do this. So a lot of times it's too, uh, I think misconceptions that are there. One is that businesses that are at a certain scale, because you and I both know companies that are of reasonable size, could be one to 5 million, no software, no systems. They're just sheer like hand to paper, um, sometimes spreadsheets at, at best. And they're just, you know, this is why you see companies to your vendors, you're like, fax you. Oh, I fax, you can fax you. We can't fax, I can't fax you. And, and, but they haven't got it because they've been around for 10, 20 years. They're like, in order for us to change this one little thing, it means retraining our entire staff. It means actually getting a software. These things seem little, but this is why it's really important from a foundational level to think. I often say when you act and think and, and operate your small company, like a big company, that's what helps you yes. get big from every dimension, from a branding dimension, from a systems dimension. That's the thing that actually gives you the bandwidth to become a large company. Whereas right. small businesses think, oh, I can get away with this bad habit for now and it doesn't scale. But when I get to the point where I need to do it, then, and in some ways that I would say philosophically, that is accurate. There are circumstances where that does apply, but a lot of times it doesn't scale and you don't realize. And then you get to the point where you've like, 
reached the freeway and you've only got a bicycle, it's like, I got to get on the freeway and I, I don't even have the, the money or the capacity to go back and go buy a car, even though I knew that to go past this, but I'm being forced because of the pressure and the momentum of the demand for my product in the marketplace that's like, I'm just going to go on there and I'm going to wing it. And I'm going to figure it out, hopefully. But it's really hard to go backwards and then start creating those systems that you need because momentum keeps you moving in a way that you have bad habits because you have to pick your head up above water to then create a whole new system, which is why um, having that from the very, very beginning is really, really important. Otherwise, you wouldn't see these like, you know, I, I'm amazed at times where I had a friend, she had a company almost doing $2 million a year. And I was like, wait, what do you mean you don't know what your menu, like your co product costing is? Like, right. how are you, how are you operating two million? And of course she went out of business. This company was around after, you know, for like 10 years, totally failed because they did not understand the system of like breaking down all their product pricing and then going and saying, okay, we need to adjust the price on this or we need to change the recipe here. They just didn't have the mind to do that. So their success a lot of times, which happens less often, but some people do succeed accidentally and build companies that are bigger than you would imagine kind of accidentally, but the, they don't last long-term. They, it's hard. Right. Eventually you have to pay the piper or, you know, uh, kind of come to Jesus. You have your come to Jesus moment where you're like, okay, I need to actually atone for the fact that I have sinned in the dimension of not actually paying attention <laughs> to these like very deep and clear things around the processes within my business. You're going to atone for it, atone for it because the reality is that there's probably other people out there who are doing it. And if you have competitors who are doing it, they're going to, they're going to eat you alive. You know, you don't want to be right. the person who doesn't have the systems in your business to make things run efficiently. Absolutely. I think the, the reality is the majority of the food that's produced and sold in, in the, on the globe is uh, produced by a large manufacturers, right? You're talking about, if you look at co-packers, now these are people that are in it for the money, right? So they're very particular about cost. They have no incentive other than uh, profit in this game. So I think in a way you are competing with that style of manufacture. And um, it's, you know, just to kind of recall uh, a, a friend of, of mine, they have one, they sell one SKU to Trader Joe's. Um, I think they're, it's something like 20 million in revenue a year, right? Single SKU. And their understanding around that one product, because if you think like one product, they can optimize their entire operation around that. It's a very different type of mindset. Um, I have, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about people not knowing their numbers. I think it's, I'm always amazed at uh, the, the lack of inventory management and how difficult it is to implement something like that as you, as you grow if you don't have something in, in the beginning. And I think the, the problem is it's a, it's a cultural issue. As you scale and you get more staff, your difficulty, the barrier culturally to get that implemented, it goes exponential. And I think that the, my conversations with my friend and, you know, he has, uh, I think 12 locations. Um, he's doing probably in excess of 15 or 20 million a year. And, uh, I, I spoke with him, you know, years ago where I think they were at, when they were at 10 million, 
They didn't have a single system for inventory. And they were losing about 20 or 30% in potential revenue due to stockouts, right? It's like, we can't produce this item because we don't have X ingredient because we just don't have inventory. So we don't know what we have and what we don't have. It was that chaotic. I was, I was like, my mind was blown when I heard, because like you said, this fallacy of scale, you think I walk in, he has 150 employees, like, my God, he has everything together. And you see that, no, it's actually really simple. When he has such a good product and a good business model, right? That he's able to kind of scale on that. And he's the first one to admit, he's like, this is such a problem for us that we don't have this. And um, it's now taking them years to implement something. Because like you said, you train, you chain one thing, it has major impact. Just imagine trying to implement, at this point, they need a full-blown ERP system. Trying to implement that is major. And you look at these large companies, you're talking major, you know, Fortune 100 companies, they fail to implement ERP systems, right? They're, they're these, you know, the list of the top 10 major ERP failures in the, uh, in the you know, magnitude of, of billions of dollars lost, right? Over years of time, it's just like, it's garbage. It didn't work. And a lot of it has to do with, it's really hard to get people to, ch you know, to change overnight, to flip on a system, and now suddenly we're gonna be doing it this other way. That's why I think that, that early kind of stages where you can layer something in bit by bit, and that's really been our philosophy, I think, is how do you get the smallest usable bit of functionality implemented into your business? Instead of trying to do this big bang, I'm gonna come in and make this amazing system. I, I think the problem with that is it's well-intentioned, but the problem is the, the change management, right? If you're one person, you can be disciplined, say like, I'm gonna totally do this other system, but you're not alone, right? And getting even a second person to adopt it is a, is a major lift. So I think doing this incremental, long, it's a marathon, right? And I think approaching it like a marathon, you are careful how you go into it. You layer things in, you don't run too quickly, you pace yourself. So I think that approach to technology is really key uh, in, in this process to be successful. It reminds me of language, right? Like when you're learning a new language, you know, and you and I are fascinated by language, it's like you learn a word or you learn a sentence and you go use it. But if you were to try to digest a whole language, and that's what a lot of ways these softwares are, it's like you're asking someone because you have all these processes in your brain of how you've already done things. And then you're asking someone to do things completely differently. So then now it's a reorientation of, and, and a lot of times too, the way that you're doing things differently, it, it, it also is kind of like apples and oranges. They both produce juice, but the one might be very physical. Like someone just enjoys the experience of like writing things down. You know, it's like, I like to write things down or I'm very visual. And so I take pictures of things. And then now you're asking me to type things into a computer. It's not how I'm oriented. And so it's actually personality types where you know, there, there is the person who would prefer to like lift up the rocks by themselves and walk them over to the, you know, whatever it is that the driveway than to actually get into a forklift. And then, because even though you're having the same outcome and one is more efficient, the experience of operating a forklift is totally different. And it's, you have to know kind of how to drive. So then I got to go 
you know, because we've had, we even had to let go of an employee in our company recently because they couldn't actually make that shift over to the software. They were so used to doing things a certain way and that they were like, oh, I'm just not computer savvy. I don't know how to do this. And it's like, well, you're becoming the bottleneck and we can't have that. Like we have to be able to do this because there are so many downstream effects in the company. There are so many people that are going to be impacted by the thing, the one task that you're doing that we can't afford to just compromise and say, well, we're going to do the way that you want to do it because it's easy for you. This is bigger than you. And so but when you have resistance from an entire company and everybody needs to do this all at once, that's where things break down. It's like, yes, you're asking everybody to do too many things all at the same time, which is why it's just easier overall to have new people get new, as they, you know, the old adage goes, it's easier to take, teach a, a new dog new tricks or it's hard to teach right. an old dog new tricks. Right. So right. That, that's the same thing. Um, do we want to talk a little bit more kind of in practical terms around what we've been creating and, and where our attention has been as we've kind of looked at this, uh, in some ways, unique problem to juicing world and just fresh food overall, like, you know, where we came to and even how we came to it. Um, you feel, yeah, ready to dive into yeah, all that? Absolutely. Let's, let's do it. What's, yeah. What's your take on it? So it's actually quite, a, kind of interesting because a number of years back we, um, I had a client, how did you end up, I don't even remember what the dynamic was. How did you end up talking to Dallas? Cause we were, we were at LA press. There was a client of ours we were working with. The, the GM there came to us and was like, Hey guys, I'm spending hours a day just doing the math on my production. It's like, this is a really, really big pain point. I think you and I had been having conversations about software. Is that, that was we, that? Yeah. We had been talking about the system that we were using internally. And you were, you were kind of becoming aware of that whole tooling and you started to see the connection between, cause again, even though we weren't doing specifically juice, it was, is very much the same type of problem because of again, fresh, the freshness of it. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. And then I, re I remember hearing this and going, oh yeah, this is a problem, which is, this is kind of, I think the unique thing about having issues in your business. We were talking about this the other day is that there's so many things that we take as a given that we don't even think to problem solve them. We're like, this is right, just the way right. that it goes and this is painful and it's just the necessary pain of existence. You know, it's just what happens when you run this business. And Arm and I had been having so many conversations about different software ideas, projects. I was observing things that he had done in his business that I was kind of trying to reflect to you like, hey, this is a big deal and a lot of people are suffering with this problem, not just you guys. And the fact that you found solutions to that internally, like the tools you've built for your business are working really great for you, but this would actually work really great for a lot of people. And so I remember, yeah, speaking to the general manager at this uh, previous client's business, and he was just saying how much time he's been spending with the doing the math and the productions to get all the measurements and everything to be dialed in. And I was like, yeah, that's actually true. It's the same thing in my business. We're having to do these productions every day and we have to figure out how much we need. And based on what's on the shelf and the inventory there, because we don't want to overproduce every day, it's different, right? We want to get somewhere within a range based on our projections. And then we got to do the math on how much of everything we need also for our ordering, because our orders got to come in, you know, at a certain time, there's just so many things that are interconnected to this. And it's like, yeah, we just do it and it's painful and we spend time on it and that's it. And, and then, yeah, Arm and I came together and realized, well, one, he had in a large part solved this problem already, but for his business. And now this actually will apply to people making juice. So we built this, this uh, software called Upressed for these clients 
They loved it. They've been using it ever since. This was how many years ago? Five years ago? Five years, yeah. Yeah, so it's been five years, and Arm and I have kind of been sitting on this <laughs> this idea of going back and forth if it's something we really want to pursue, even though we know it's a problem that we can solve for people. But I think in, in the direction of time of seeing how adamant this client was, and I think for you two probably having the experience where other people came and, and, and you were like, hey, you know what? Like, just do it this way. And they were like, no, we have to use software. <laughs> right. Like, they were like fighting you tooth and nail to be like, you need to keep us on this thing because of how important it is for everything we're doing. I think it then revealed more to Arm about like just how pressing it is for people. And so we decided, you know what, let's actually focus on helping people with their production, um, helping them make it more efficient and do it at scale and put more of our attention on getting more people on board to solve this really significant issue, which is how do you efficiently and accurately put together production lists based on the uniqueness of not only your menu, but the dynamic nature of the daily changes that are happening in your business and do it in a way that's quick enough, right? So a process that Dallas told us, he was the GM uh, at the time, that he was spending at least at least an hour, hour to two hours every day just doing the math on this thing. And then when we created the software for them, he was able to output everything in literally seconds, you know, like, 15 seconds, just put in what he wants, and then he gets the full production list. Because at the end of the day, it is all math. And when you understand how to mix and match all those things and you have clear objective of output, now uh, you can get it. And not only, not only can you get the right numbers, but the question is how do you visually format it in a way that makes sense to your team? Because else, uh, Excel spreadsheets are clunky and that's not what someone wants to really be looking at when they're looking at a production. You can't change sizes, you can't change format, you can't prioritize, it's, it's, it's just a mess. And so we've created a software now that allows people to be able to just simply put in the output of what they're looking to produce for their daily production and everything that you need is just spit out for you. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's amazing how this seemingly simple problem is actually quite complex. I think it's inherently a complicated problem when you have multi-level recipes. And in this case, you do. You, you, you have to understand specifically how this one ingredient impacts all the way through your production pipeline, all the way from ordering to finished bottle. Uh, and I think to get it right is, again, back to the issue of if you... I think Dallas is an interesting case because he was he was analytical, right? He wanted to he understood the impact of not getting it right and overproducing or underproducing. He understood the impact of that. And I think that if um, you realize like that is really key to your profitability as a company, then the question is, okay, how do I solve this? So it has to be done. The question is, how do you best do it? And I think that's, it's a, it's a very narrow entryway into the broader scope of kind of what has to happen to run an operation efficiently. But it is a key piece that has to happen every day. And I think in, in this simple scenario, all you want is, I wanna be able to put in, I have 10 products on my menu, 
I want to put in X number per day. Like you said, I think a key thing is it's fluctuating throughout the week, not only throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the season. So the fact that it has to be dynamic is another key indicator. If you are close to the kind of metal in terms of this is my projected sales and you're able to adjust, because I think what most people are doing, they're falling into the habit of just, I'm going to do my pars. What did I do last Wednesday? I'm going to do that again today. And I think the problem is that compounds over time. And if you really come to grips with what that is doing to your bottom line, when you are approaching it like that, it's massive. And you just compound that year after year and you see that, you know, God, that might be the difference between just that, just that little tweak in numbers might be the difference between, you know, half a million, a million over the course of a business over a decade. Uh, when you start thinking about it in terms of those numbers, you realize, oh, this is actually a costly problem I need to address. So I think being able to put in, here are the numbers I need, give me my sheets, I hand that to my people, that extra one hour, two hours of savings every day, not only time savings, but actually being correct with your with your operation, is it's it's a massive, it has a massive impact on the business. Mm-hmm. Because the implications, just to expand on that a little bit, the implications of being inaccurate are if you underproduce and you don't have product on the shelf, people aren't buying from you. So it's lost sales. It's lost revenue, right? And then if you overproduce, now you have spoilage, lost labor, lost product uh, costs and expense there. And so it is such a fundamental part of being able to make money and that it's it's uh, sad that there hasn't really been a, a, a significant solution outside of people just guessing or trying to put together you know clunky spreadsheets that oftentimes might not be accurate and and there's there's definitely another element to people needing to have insight into their products right you have to do your inventory and like what's there right now versus what do we need and understand that right. cars are going to fluctuate so there's some aspect of human intelligence that's necessary. But then everything downstream of like, what does that mean in terms of how much I need to order? And what does that mean in terms of how much we need to produce for this specific ingredient connected to these five different products and and so forth just gets easier. You don't have to think about it. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's been our conversations, right? That's where we want to go with it. It's right now we're in, you know, kind of private beta. Uh, We're getting some key people in slowly as the system ramps up. But I think getting the... uh, this is a this is a critical entry point into all of these other aspects. And as we roll out, you know, our long feature list, uh, our our roadmap of um, all of these issues, right? Inventory management is a huge one. How do we actually approach this in a way that isn't um, broken? I think like a lot of the systems, right? There's just another in, just inherent complexity again in getting the numbers. Uh, obviously, costing. Uh, projections, right? So we're in a we're in a very interesting time where these technologies that have been uh, kind of developed over the decades are actually coming to a point of real commercial value, and I think that there's a hype cycle right now. Obviously, AI is all the rage, but I think once this hype cycle finds its equilibrium and we start to see like, okay, what are the real useful applications? I think that that's kind of the key for us is how do we incorporate in this very physical industry, right? We're talking about things we 
we eat. We can't get more intimate than, than what people put in their mouths. And I think inner, kind of getting into a, a place where we can start to help facilitate and help those types of businesses really compete. Because I think with all this change, there's, there's a ton of uncertainty as to where all of this fits. I think it's extremely important to be positioned so that your team, your, your operation, your company is uh, philosophically kind of in line with walking this path. And I think that this is why it's important to, to get your foot in the door at this point. And that's, I think, why we've kind of come to this conclusion of we, we need to start getting people in at the ground level, uh, you know, before, before the whole system is, is I think, too far gone. Mm-hmm. I, I often think about, you know, like what has allowed humanity, what, what distinguishes human beings from a lot of other creatures and, and mammals even? It's the fact that we're very good at making tools right? It's like our capacity to create and make a tool has given us leverage over the physical environment from just a base level. That's actually it. And the communities, uh, cultures who have the best tools, even you think about war and the, you know, Europeans coming and having muskets and having guns versus the Native Americans having bows and arrows, that was the competitive advantage that allowed to kind of colonize a great portion of the world, right? It's like when you're in a competitive environment, it is actually the tools that you have as a company that allow you to compete at a higher level and beat people who are competing with you. And all software is is just another tool. It's just a computing tool. And I was even thinking about systems, like everything in our life in a lot of ways is, I was even thinking like the, the bath mat that goes on the ground when I get out of the shower is a system. It's not a very complex system, but it's something that I thought about ahead of time. And then I have to have a system around that going into the laundry and then like coming out and drying. And then like, but everything in our life to a degree is kind of a system. And you either have very efficient systems. I was even noticing like how I floss my teeth. I have a system for that, like where I start on the bottom and then I go left to right. And then I go up to, and I like everything that we do to a certain degree we eventually, if we do it enough times, we systematize. But the problem is, and the issue is, that we don't tend to have systems for these things. And the more you scale that out over a lifetime, if you have an inefficient system for doing something, you just have so much waste. But the problem, the issue also is that you don't have measurable waste. So a lot of these things go unnoticed because you have no comparable uh, uh, metric. You're just like, yeah, I have a a very inefficient system for flossing my teeth, but I don't know what the impact of that is because I have no comparison. I haven't talked to people. I don't, I just don't know, but that could lead to down the line cavities, you know, needing for dentures, root canals, not being able to chew your food appropriately. So now your digestion is, is impacted. Your digestion is impacted. You're not digesting your food correctly. Now you've developed some autoimmune disease or now you're not getting nutrients, then your lifespan. You would never think something is small, but you, but you don't see the downstream impact of those things because we're just like, it's flossing, right? Right, right. And I think it's that that's, so that's, that's the very interesting thing when you start to measure things in your business, which is one of the other blind spots. I often said you can't manage what you can't measure and you can't see, right? Or that you don't understand. 
all those things are issues. And the more we can do that and the more we are, I think humanity, as we are becoming more data driven is doing that. You've got apps that are, you know, on your phone, seeing how much you walk. And then it's like, Hey, people who walk more live longer or you like whatever else it is. And now we can quantify these things that at one point we were just blind to. But when you're starting a business for that much more of a reason, because your life is dependent on your employees, livelihood is dependent on it. Everything is dependent on how detailed you are in making these small decisions. I remember once when we, we made a shift in our menu at the juice bar, because I started to dive back into the menu costing, which the other issue with people menu costing is they do it once if they do it at all, once every six months, maybe once every year, maybe once a quarter, maybe maybe just once, right? Maybe just once, right? But it's impacting you every day. So I go back in and I do my menu costing again. I'm like, oh my God, the price of of cucumbers have just gone through the roof. We have this like so many of our drinks. And then I changed from cucumber to celery, which, you know, there's the, the emotional component and being like, oh my God, people are attached to this rest, this ingredient. People don't care. <laughs> they don't care as much as who care. You make, you think that they care more than you care. Anyway, so I swap it out. I go from cucumber to celery. And then we make an extra $10,000 on our bottom line that month in net profit because of how significant this ingredient was and how much it was costing us. But people aren't looking at these things. You don't see it and you're blind to it. So you're, it's like a silent killer. It's like this thing is literally killing your business and you, you don't think about that too. Like if I had done that a year before, that's $120,000 extra that I would have had that I just didn't know. You just blind to. So this is all the stuff that people are, are not seeing. There's so many things like this. And part of our objective is to in twofold, not only give you more information, right? Give you the data, uh, eventually when we start doing things like menu costing and everything else, but give you a system to manage it easily, right? Cause the reason that people don't do these things like the menu cost is cause it's not easy. It's difficult. It's hard. It's arduous, right? It takes a different kind of thinking. Right. So therefore they avoid it. But if we can make these things a lot easier, then you reduce the friction and then now more people can manage their businesses, um, with accuracy and with, with ease. hundred percent. I think as you're saying all this, I'm getting uh, flashbacks to, you know, the, the times when I think we've all been there. We know there's so many broken things and it's a, it's a sense of overwhelm, right? You're just, you're burned out. You're tired. You have a million things that you're trying to deal with. And Sometimes I would even say that hearing that, oh, there's a better way. Part of me is like, oh, just, just leave me alone. Like, I don't want to hear anything right now. I know there's a better way. That's not helping me. That's making me feel worse because I'm now feeling like a failure that I'm not doing better in my business. Right. So I think the, um, you know, the, the, that's why I love like the small, I love the baby steps. I love these small little changes that are instant wins how do we get people instant small wins so that we can slowly build up momentum and this resilience and it's it's muscle building right it's like how do we start to grow that muscle in the company and pretty soon you're able to lift massive amounts right big changes suddenly can be incorporated into your business and i think that's a beautiful thing when that happens because i've seen it i've seen the in the beginning pulling teeth, trying to get people to do something. And I fail and I fail and I fail. And then I finally am able to get some little thing in. And then pretty soon 
I can see there's, there's a shift in their mood and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, what's, what's, what's coming next, right? What's the next change that's going to make our lives better? Because I think that's the big thing is once people start to see like, oh, wow, that actually felt good after that workout. I want to do that again, right? I'm now more open. I'm less resistant to it. So I think, I think it's, a, it's a beautiful place to be. And um, there's just so much opportunity right now to take advantage of. I think it's a, it's a very unique time in history that we're in. And um, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I tend to be optimistic about technology. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm less dystopian. I know that there's some very dystopian stuff out there, but uh, I think that it's up to us to, to uh, nudge it in a very positive way and at the end of the day, in this in this particular industry, right? How do we how do we get people healthier? How do we get people thinking in a in a more positive way? And I feel like the more we can get businesses to be profitable and thrive, the more of that type of business is going to flourish, right? And that's that's really I think the ultimate service here is is how do we get how do we how do we all collectively become successful in this? So, you know, yeah, yeah I think that's, I, that's I always say that people, philosophy. people, <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. People owe it to themselves and their communities to run their businesses well, because once again, the downstream impacts of that, of you having a very successful business means more people are going to get healthy, right? And then the opposite is if your business isn't there and people don't have access, they might, you know, right. we've had clients who their motivation for starting a juice bar was, someone in their family had cancer and they didn't have the time or energy to juice for them every day. That's right. And That's right. that is like heartbreaking for them. And they think there's nothing in our community that we can go to and get juice or healthy products for our family member. It's mostly it's that food deserts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, right now we are in the phase of which, depending on where, when you're listening to this and how long this podcast has been out and this video has been out, um, we might be further along, but it's auto.ai. That's O-U-G-H-T-O dot A-I. If you go to that website, you'll be able to either sign up for our waiting list if you're uh, early to the party, or you might see that we already have a lot of other features and things up and running, and you can you know reach out to us there, and we can see how we can get you on board and start allowing you to run your business more efficiently. But we're excited, and we're grateful, and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how we can impact this industry in a positive way and just get people to find more ease so they can focus on running their business the way that they want to run it and not spend all their day trying to put together clunky spreadsheets. <laughs> Beautiful. Andrew, thank you. All right, guys. You. Yeah, thank you. It's Always good. Yeah, until next time. Until all right, you guys. Time. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye.